morning. The Bible reading today is from James chapter 3 and it's verses 1 through to 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Words are incredibly powerful, aren't they? They can build up. They can tear down. Words can give life or bring death. Powerful words often make great speeches. Almost 60 years ago, Martin Luther King said, I have a dream, to over 250,000 civil rights supporters on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. It's one of the most famous speeches in our history. King's words were powerful. They had an incredible influence over his listeners in the struggle for racial equality in the United States and throughout the world. Powerful words for great good. But powerful words do not always have a positive impact. Words can be misunderstood. Words can be deceptive. Words can have an extremely complicated influence. Take, for example, this. President Donald Trump's speech at the Save America rally at the Capitol early this year on January 6th. He said that he knew that his supporters would march on the Capitol building. And soon after, a mob did march. But the relationship between his words and the mob's action is highly contested. Some say it's a coincidence. Others say there's a direct link. Whatever the connection, the words were powerful, whether misunderstood or intentionally deceptive. His words were powerful. Words are powerful, yet also dangerous. In our passage today, James talks about our tongues, 
our speech, the tongue's power, its danger, its inconsistency. And James encourages us as Christians to be responsible with our tongues. Firstly, the tongue is powerful. Our passage begins with a warning, but who is the warning addressed to? Have a look at verse 1 with me. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. At first glance, you might think this is addressed to teachers, those who teach the Bible. But James is addressing to all those who might become teachers, who have the desire to be a teacher. It includes those who are teachers and who aren't teachers yet. See, a Bible teacher can have a very powerful position. Teachers in the church have influence, have power. People look up to them. People listen to them. And teachers have a duty of care to those people. And so to those who would become teachers, who would take up that power, James gives a warning that they will be judged more strictly. James is echoing his brother Jesus' words. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says to the Pharisees, to the teachers of the law, he says this, I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. By your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Looking forward to the day of final judgment, both James and Jesus are warning those who teach to be responsible with their words. Teachers are a greater danger of judgment because of their words. For the power of a teacher is exercised through their tongue, through their speech. The words of a teacher influence people in how they live their lives. A teacher can lead their people along paths of righteousness, Think of the way Billy Graham's words helped so many people come to a faith in Jesus. Or a teacher can lead people astray. Think of the way some preachers like Joel Osteen promised people material wealth rather than salvation from sin. The words of a teacher influence people in how they live. And what gives the teacher their great power is also a great temptation. We see this in verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. People are tempted in lots of different ways. But what James is concerned about here is being tempted in what they say. If someone never makes a mistake in what they say, they must be perfect. In fact, Being in control of what you say is such an advanced skill, you're probably self-controlled in everything. But who's actually like this? Are you perfect in in everything that you say? I definitely am not. Do you know anyone who's perfect in what they say? I don't. James is painting this unobtainable goal specifically with teachers in mind who wield such power with their speech. Teachers have such a great influence over people with their words and controlling your words is such a hard thing 
making the role of a teacher such a serious thing to consider. The tongue of a teacher, the words of a teacher, contain great power. And so the tongue must be kept in check or bridled. From that image of bridling the tongue, James jumps into three illustrations of the power of the tongue. He starts with how a horse is bridled in verse 3, and then goes on to a ship and a fire. See it with me from verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So here we have three pictures about how something small impacts something big. Tugging at the little bit in the horse's mouth means the rider can guide the whole horse. Turning the little rudder at the bottom of the ship means the helmsman can guide the whole ship. And a small spark produces a big bushfire. Small things impacting big things, just like the tongue. We might think the tongue is insignificant because it's so tiny compared to other parts of the body, but it's powerful. The tongue is powerful. So we need to be responsible with our speech. But who does this apply to? Isn't God's word here only addressing those who would become teachers? Maybe it's preachers first and foremost. Those who give sermons are teachers. Me at the moment and Luke and Simon throughout our preaching calendar. But I think James is not just addressing preachers. Those of you who lead our services are also teaching God's word. You're speaking words from the Bible, from the front, to the congregation. This warning is for our service leaders too. And I think it's for Bible study leaders, our kids' church teachers, our youth group leaders. So, teachers of Campbell Street Church, take James's warning seriously. You have influence over our congregation, of your Bible study group, over our kids, over our youth, because of your role, your role of teaching God's word. You need to take your role seriously. Be responsible with your speech. Pray and prepare. Pray before leading the service or Bible study group or kids' church class or youth group. Ask for God's help. Prepare what you'll say. Think it through. Pray and prepare. I know many of you do this already. Keep doing it. We need to be responsible with our speech. The transition to the next section in the passage, I think, is a bit strange. I think it's like the connections my fiancé, Kim, often makes that I don't understand. For example, yesterday... Kim was talking about one of the women she knows that is pregnant, and I was following what she was saying. But then she remembered another woman who lives next to the first woman who's also pregnant, 
But the first woman didn't realise that the other one was pregnant and I was lost. I didn't know where she was going. She had linked it conceptually, but I wasn't able to follow. I didn't understand because my brain works differently. Do you know people who do that? Make connections in conversations and you don't understand where they're heading? Well, James writes like that. He thinks of a picture in his mind and then he connects it to something else. We've seen it in bridling the tongue to bridling the horse in verses 2 to 3. And then from verse 5 to verse 6, from fire as a comparison to fire as a metaphor. A metaphor for how dangerous the tongue is. Let's read it from verse 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. No longer is James thinking about fire as an example of little things going to big things. Now he's thinking about the destruction of fire. And the tongue is a fire. It spreads and destroys like a bushfire. Do you remember the bushfires that wreaked havoc throughout our state from July 2019 to the end of March last year? It was the worst bushfire season our state had ever recorded. People died. Thousands of homes were destroyed. Millions of hectares were burnt. And it's estimated more than one billion animals were killed or displaced. You probably remember the smog over our city or knew of people that were stranded on the coast. Bushfires spread and destroyed destructively. And that's what the tongue is, according to James. The tongue is so destructive that it's a world of evil that corrupts the whole body. Did you see the progression in verse 6? The tongue corrupts the body, and then it blazes into your whole life. And the source of all the tongue's corruption is hell, the devil himself. But I don't think that should surprise us. When the devil showed up in the Garden of Eden... It was the deceptive words of the silver-tongued serpent that deceived Eve and Adam. The tongue can be sinful, and it gets its destructive nature from the evil one. These are strong words, but we do know how destructive the tongue can be. In the letter of James alone, we know that tongue tends towards getting angry, deceiving yourself saying things against God, arguing and boasting. And we know the tongue puts people down. I know that my tongue, my speech, is prone to these things. What about your tongue, your speech? Maybe your speech is prone to anger. Maybe it's arguing. Or is it Gossiping about others. How is your tongue, your speech, destructive? I think we all know the harm that our tongues can do. And we've hurt people with our speech. And we often want it to stop, make up for it. We often want to tame our tongues. 
But what does James say about taming our tongues? See it in verse 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So thinking of the job that God gave to humans in the Garden of Eden, ruling over the animals, we're reminded that we can tame almost any animal. The ferocity of lions, tamed by the whip at the circus. The terror of big bears, with food and training, tamed. And snakes can be charmed with music. But according to James, no human being can tame the tongue. The tongue is wilder than lions or bears. The tongue is destructive, it's evil and wild. But the tongue, our speech, is not only evil. The tongue is inconsistent. Our tongue can be speech uh, evil at one point, yet good at another. But this shouldn't be, writes James. Let's read why in verses 9 to 12. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, And with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. See, the power of our tongues, our speech has an incredible capacity for good. We can praise our Lord and Father. There is no better or purer thing for our tongues to do. But the fact that both praise and cursing comes out of the same mouth, that is the problem. Our mouths are inconsistent. Our tongues are double-minded. They're hypocritical. Our speech can serve two different purposes, but that shouldn't come from the same place. And this idea is illustrated in four pictures. Two springs, two plants. In verse 11, we see, can the same spring of water produce both fresh and salt water? Literally, can it produce water that is at times sweet and then at other times bitter? It's not naturally possible, is it? For a spring to go back and forth between fresh and bitter water. In verse 12, we've got the two plants. A fig tree can't produce olives because a fig tree has to naturally produce figs. A grapevine can't produce figs because a grapevine has to naturally produce grapes. And lastly, briny water, salty sea water, can't be fresh water. It can't be what it isn't. In God's world, something always produces what it's designed for. We saw this before with the kids. Chickens lay eggs, not balls. Apple trees produce apples, not oranges. In God's world, something always produces what it's designed for. As we are sinful, our tongues produce evil, like we've seen. But for those who have been washed clean by Jesus' blood shed on the cross, we should not be like that anymore. 
for those who have God's Holy Spirit dwelling inside them, making them more like Jesus, we should not be like that any more. For if we have been washed clean, our mouths should produce clean, pure speech. If we have the Spirit inside us, we can get better at making our speech consistent. So let us be slow to speak. We've already been reminded of this in James. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Our tongues are dangerously powerful, but that is not the final word. With the Spirit's help, we can be slow to speak. I was reminded at our Bible study on Wednesday night of simple, helpful ways to do this. You've definitely heard them before. Take a deep breath, for example. It gives you time. It calms you down. Take a deep breath before speaking. Or you could count to ten. Again, it gives you time. It helps you calm down before speaking. Count to ten. And these practical steps help give you time to think. Why do you want to say the thing you're going to say? Is it helpful? How will it impact other people? Take a deep breath or count to ten and think about what you're going to say. With the Spirit's help, we can be slow to speak. And finally, let us keep our speech pure. Let your tongue flow forth praise, encouragement, prayer, positive words. We do need to stop the negative things we say, but we need to cultivate the habit of saying positive things too. The possibilities of positive speech are endless, but here's three. Prayer, praise, encouragement. Soon Leslie will pray for us. Join with her words. Enjoy the privilege of speaking with God in prayer. And keep praying during the week. If there's frustration behind the negative things that we say, we can give that over to God in prayer. Speak to God in prayer. After that, those of us in the band will praise God in song. Even though you can't sing with us, you can still praise God during this week. When you see something beautiful this week, praise God. Tell him how great the sunrise is or thank him for the rain. Praise God. And when we go out to morning tea, encourage people with your words. Love people with your speech. Give them compliments. Give them encouragement. Build them up. Parents, will you patiently and lovingly rebuke your kids this week when they forget to do something again? Encourage your kids with your words. Uh, Kim and I finished our marriage prep a week or two ago, and one of the things that stood out for us was the idea of daily complimenting your spouse. Things like, I enjoy hanging out with you. Or, I appreciate that you were on time yesterday. <laughs> Hopefully you hear that one. Spouses, how do you go with your positive communication? Keep building each other up. So we need to encourage each other with our words. Because we've been made in the image of a God who uses words lovingly, so we should too. That's being consistent with who you are like the fresh spring and the fig tree and the grapevine 
produce what you're supposed to as a follower of Jesus. As you've been washed clean, produce clean, pure speech with your mouths. So our tongues are powerful, but we, especially our leaders, need to be responsible with our speech. Our tongues are dangerous and inconsistent, but as followers of the Lord Jesus, they don't have to be. We should produce pure speech from our mouths because that's who we are. Pray, praise, encourage.